My name is Scott Zimmerman. I'm a solutions architect with AWS, covering Microsoft workloads uh, all across the gamut for our, helping our partners and customers to migrate Windows workloads to the cloud. Before AWS, I spent many years working with Microsoft, and I've been working with the Microsoft environments for my entire career, going for about 25, 30 years. And we love Windows and Microsoft workloads at AWS, and the team that I'm on is is uh, growing fast and, and doing a lot to uh, help enable this uh, scenario. Let's see. The only other thing they forgot to do is tell me how to go next. Next slide. Where's the clicker for that? Hello. All right. We'll use the uh, keyboard. All right. So what to expect from the session? We're going to talk about bring your own license terminology. I'm going to try to demystify this for you. Even if you're a techie, there's a lot of things that you should know about licensing that will help you design intelligent architectures. So you've got to know some of this terminology. We're going to talk about the AWS dedicated hosts and how you can cut your SQL Server licensing costs in half. That's pretty sub substantial. We'll cover the AWS config service. And at the end, if things go well, we're going to do a demo of the VM import service uh, with PowerShell. Now, what I'm not going to cover here is a few things, because I had to limit the scope somehow. I am not an expert on SPLA. And so if you need to know anything about SPLA, if, if you have a SPLA and you want to do SPLA on SPLA, that's fine. You can do that. But please email us. And if you don't know what SPLA means and you don't have a SPLA, don't worry about it. <laughs> that is a very complex Microsoft partnership agreement. Now, we have a SPLA. That's how we are able to let you run Windows Server in AWS. I'm also not going to cover Office or Amazon Workspaces, where we also get various licensing questions on those topics. But uh, please let me set some boundaries here so we can try to get through this. Now, I know that you usually see this slide at the end of the deck. And you're probably going, Scott, what's that doing up here? Well, I wanted to convey to you how seriously we're taking Windows workloads. We are working all the time on building out these content libraries. And don't worry about memorizing all these links while it's on the screen here. You're going to get the deck, and you can click through them. Uh, but it is a substantial body of work that goes into extending this and maintaining it um, and building new content. For example, Windows Server 2016, SQL Server 2016. These are all new things that came out, and our team is you know, rushing to try and get the content updated and refreshed and, and make sure that it's available for all the new uh, technologies that are always coming. Now, one of the things that you saw on the previous slide was our quick starts. This is an amazing uh, aspect of the content that we provide for free. There are seven quick starts for Windows workloads, last time I checked, and one of them is for SharePoint Server. Now, look at the diagram there. You got all those orange boxes are server instances, Windows Server. So there's about 10 of them in there. This is a complex undertaking, and some SharePoint Server farms for enterprises are m even much bigger than that. The beautiful thing about the quick start is that it shows you how to do this automatically and reliably, repeatably, before lunch. You can deploy that entire infrastructure. All of that is in a VPC. So one thing I want to emphasize to you, whether you use our quick start or not, please always, always think about using cloud formation for every Windows workload you do. When I first started at AWS, the first thing I did is I went into the console and I started clicking around. And I was creating some instances and creating some databases, and I was doing everything with my mouse. 
but that is very unhelpful to your career. Don't use the mouse. You need to be DevOps experts. So do everything with CloudFormation and PowerShell. Automate it so it's completely repeatable. Now, you might say, well, Scott, you know, how often am I going to deploy a SharePoint farm as sophisticated as that? It's going to go into production once. Yeah, you could do all of that, all of those resources and the, the routing tables, the subnets, the VPC, et cetera, the NAT gateway, don't forget, the security groups. You could do all of that manually by clicking around with the mouse. But you know what? You're also going to be doing it a thousand times a year in dev and test. So get one with CloudFormation and love it. And, and I mean, it's got a learning curve, but you can get over that, and um, especially with the new support for YAML. Now, for a real uh, deployment like this, software licensing costs are the dominant factor. They are, they are much larger than your storage costs, your bandwidth, or your EC2 instances. So that's why we're going to talk today about licensing. So let's go over the terminology. There are two ways that you can run Microsoft software on AWS. You can either buy a license included. That's a key word. I'm going to use that a lot, and I'm going to call it LI. License included means you're buying it from AWS. Or you can BYOL, bring your own license. So those are your two options. That's it. All right? Now, if you're going to bring your own license, you might need to run it on dedicated infrastructure because of certain, either because you have compliance rules in your industry that you need dedicated infrastructure or to be compliant with Microsoft. But we also have default tenancy, which is not dedicated infrastructure. And you can run that with, uh, with license mobility. I'm going to go over all these terms like from two or three or four different perspectives as we go along. So some of this will sink in as, as we get toward the end. Now, notice on the license included, on the LI, the left side of the slide, we've got only two boxes, two products. So let that always be in the back of your mind. AWS only sells Windows Server and SQL Server. And by the way, I think we're one of the world's largest resellers of those two products, as you might imagine. Who else could do it on a greater scale than AWS? Now, I'll slow down a bit here so you can um, look at this. Let's take the column on the left is the license included, okay? Notice some advantages there. You don't have to buy software assurance. You don't have to buy CALs. So it's pay-as-you-go. That's flexibility, man. You can change your workload. You can consolidate. Okay, that's good. Now, what if you've already got your own licenses? The two columns on the right are both BYOL, even though only one of them says BYOL. You can BYOL even if you don't have license mobility. I'll tell you more about license mobility in a minute. But just to understand, there's two ways to do BYOL. You can do it if you do have license mobility, or you can do it without. So what's license mobility? It is a program from Microsoft that you get with software assurance. So if you buy software assurance, you get license mobility for certain eligible products. But even if you don't have that, there are ways to do BYOL. We'll cover it again. Like I said, we're going to do several perspectives on this. So don't expect you're going to have to memorize all this today, but uh, we're going to try and break it down. Now, looking at license included, um, let's talk about the significant advantages that it offers before we spend most of the time talking about BYOL. Uh, you can bring all versions of Windows Server. We even have a uh, Windows Server 2003. 
AMI. I mean, you can launch, not bring. We also support all the latest versions of SQL Server, and those are optional. So when you're launching a Windows Server instance from an Amazon AMI, you can say, do you want it with SQL Server or not? And we have lots of the various configuration pairs, but not all of them. So you can get, for example, uh, you know, Windows Server 2012 R2 with SQL Server 2008, uh, et etc. But not all of the pairs are available. The hourly instance cost. So when I say instance cost, that's your the fee you're paying per hour to run that 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 server in the cloud. Well, that includes the software license. That includes the CALs and two remote desktop CALs as well. So that's kind of convenient. Now, license mobility, like I said, it's a program from Microsoft that you get with software assurance. You'll notice that the icons there are not showing Windows Server or Office. Those are the products that are not covered by license mobility. Other products listed there are eligible for license mobility to be uh, moved to the cloud. So what license mobility does is you've got a license on-premise, you're allowed to move it into the cloud. And then you don't have to pay for Windows Server. Okay, some more terminology that we need to make sure we get. A dedicated host is where you own the whole host. You're leasing it from us, basically. And a dedicated instance is where you have only a particular instance that is dedicated to you. And you live there. And those, those, that home is nailed down for you. It's not multi-tenant. On the other hand, default tenancy, you can move around. When you reboot, you might be moving around. Now, we call that default tenancy. You might sometimes see it referred to as multi-tenant. During this talk, I'm going to refer to these as DH, DI, and DT. Okay, because these words are, get kind of long to say sometimes. Now, the most important thing to remember about dedicated hosts is that you, the last bullet on the slide, I don't know why I didn't put that at the top of the slide, sorry. But you must bring your own AMI. To run on a dedicated host, I'm gonna, just to repeat, you cannot launch an Amazon AMI on a dedicated host. So you must first use the VM import service to bring in your Windows image, and then it's an AMI in your account. Now you can launch an instance onto a dedicated host. And again, software assurance is not required here. And it's primarily used for cases where you have uh, processor or core-based products. So that means Windows Server or SQL Server most of the time. Now, dedicated instances, to contrast that with dedicated hosts, you can also bring your own license without having software assurance. This was our first option for letting you do that. Dedicated instances came before DH. They are good, DIs are good for products that are licensed per user. So remember I said DH is good for per proc, like Windows Server and SQL Server? Well, DI is good for per user based products. So that includes things like SharePoint, Exchange, etc. Now, because it's, because DI is um, for per user based licenses, Okay, thanks. You cannot uh, 
launch, uh, you cannot bring your own uh, Windows server there. There's an exception to that on the b bottom bullet there. If you have MSDN, you can bring Windows Server and all the other products that MSDN covers because that's a per-user license, right? When you get MSDN, you are dedic it's dedicated to you. It's assigned to you. So in that case, you can launch a dedicated instance in AWS, and you can put any of your MSDN bits on it as long as it's not for production purposes. That's your MSDN requirement, okay? And we want to stay compliant. Let me try this clicker now. Hey, it works. Okay, this is the most important slide in the deck. So you can take a picture of it if you want, um, but I'm gonna break it down for you. The reason I say it's the most important is because I refer to this slide that I built a month ago already like once a day to help with customer questions that come up. What I'm gonna do is talk about the column on the left and across the three columns uh, to the right. So we're gonna compare DH, DI, and DT. So let's start with the top row. We've already covered Windows Server basically telling you when you're on a DH, you must bring your own image. So you have to use the import image command uh, that's part of our VM import service. So that's the top left uh, quadrant there. In the other cases, DI and DT, you must buy a license-included AMI. Uh, you, you have to launch our AMI, which means it's license-included. So you're paying us an hourly fee for the, the instance as well as the Windows Server license that's included in that. So that's why it's called license-included, okay? So you cannot bring your own image for Windows Server to a DI or a DT. All right, second row. Let's talk about SQL Server. Yes, you can bring your own license on a dedicated host or a dedicated instance. If you want to do it on a DT, though, you, you must do it with, you can do it either with license mobility or license included. Now, how is it that you can do both there? Well, the thing about a DT is you can only bring your own license if you've got license mobility. Microsoft will let you do that. But you can also launch an instance in a, on a default tenancy that has SQL Server included in it because we're selling Windows Server and SQL Server and some of our AMIs have SQL Server in, in them. So that's how you can do it either way there. And then the next row, other Microsoft products. That covers SharePoint, Exchange, Skype, etc. Dynamics. There you see you can do that on a dedicated host. If it's a user-based product, you can do that on a dedicated instance. And it, uh, you can also do them with license mobility. You can do them on default tenancy. And in the bottom row, you've got a key exception to note there. You cannot use MSDN on default tenancy. Now, why do you think we call it default tenancy? When you go through the wizard to launch an EC2 Windows image, the, check, the default answer is you're going to get default tenancy. So if you do that, you can't bring MSDN there, okay? Just please remember that. That's a MSDN licensing requirement. There's no technical reason behind that. All right, let's take a look at uh, a, a little more information comparing dedicated hosts and dedicated instances. Notice that DH has more features. There is one feature you should be aware of that a DI has that a DH doesn't have, and that's the $2 per region per hour charge. That's only on the first DI in a region. So that's a one-time uh, fee for the first dedicated instance that you launch in that region. That's $2 per hour. 
Otherwise, uh, DH does most of the things that a DI does. Okay, that covers the most of the terminology we needed to go through. So any questions so far? Got to be some questions on your mind. Everybody understand license included, LI, DH, dedicated host? Yes. Okay, the question is, uh, what about Oracle, and do I have to bring Windows on a dedicated host to run that? Okay, so I can't answer questions about Oracle licensing because I'm sure it's just as complex as Microsoft, and I spend a lot of time trying to get up to speed on Microsoft licensing. Um, but to your Windows Server question, what I can tell you you have to do there on a dedicated host, let, let's assume that Oracle has a provision that lets you bring your own license for an Oracle database product but they do require dedicated infrastructure, so you've determined that you need a DH. First thing you're gonna to have to do is bring your own Windows image to get a, an instance launched on AWS that has Windows Server running on it. Now, if you can comply with your Oracle license, you can install your Oracle bits on that. Or, alternatively, you could have done all that on-premise and say, okay, I've got my image set up, it's got Windows Server, and I've got my Oracle bits installed, I'm going to make an image of that, and then I'm going to import that to AWS using the import image command, and then I'm going to uh, launch an instance on a DH. So you can do that as well. Assuming that your Oracle compliance is there. I don't know how that works. All right. Any other questions? Yes. Okay, the question is about what about upgrades? Even if you don't, if you don't have SA, how are you going to get upgrades? Well... Our uh, per hour license cost, I haven't checked this, but it would be interesting to note, I, I haven't heard of any uptick in the different versions of Windows Server, for example, or even SQL Server. But when you go and launch an instance, by the way, in the cloud, all things fail all the time. That was a famous quote by our CTO. And so, you know, you're not going to just launch SQL Server in the cloud and expect it to run for 10 years without possibly upgrading it or without um, launching another one. So at some point, you might say, hey, there's a new and shiny version of SQL Server. I'd like to get that. And you can, um, with uh, default tenancy, you're using our AMIs, and you didn't have to buy software assurance. But you go and look in the, in the uh, AMIs, and we've got the newer version. So you can launch it, and I think it's probably the same price. So there's no, there's no reason that you couldn't just find an appropriate time for you to migrate your application, or you might be forced to, you know, you're going to be forced to reboot if, uh, eventually from time to time anyway. All right, one more question, and then we'll move on. Yes. All right, I only caught part of that. I'm sorry. The, the, I think the question is about what about the cost of a DH? Yes, there is a cost to the DH, and you do have to think about that. I'm going to spend more time. We're going to go through this. Uh, so as I go through the next section on dedicated hosts, if I don't cover that, uh, you can ask me again. All right, let's drill into dedicated hosts. Now, when do you want to use these? 
And like I said, I'm going to do a few things from a diff- from multiple perspectives. So forgive me if I've already said some of these bullets, because this this stuff is complex the first time you face it. And so it, it really doesn't hurt to see it once in a table and once in a diagram and once in a bullet. And sooner or later you say, well, I've seen that three times. I think I'm beginning to get it. Trust me, I, I've worked with it for months, and it still sometimes baffles me. All right, so uh, what's a, when to use dedicated hose. It's great for bring your own license if you don't have software assurance or if the product isn't eligible for software for license mobility, such as Windows or Office. Now, you sometimes need these for compliance or accounting reasons. I'm not going to give you legal advice or accounting advice, but your accountant or your lawyer might tell you that you would need dedicated infrastructure. And it can help you reduce costs at scale, which sort of goes to the question that was just asked. The point is, you want to fill the host. Now, when you get a host, remember that picture I showed you of a host? It had a whole bunch of instances in it. It has capacity for many instances. So you don't want to just put one instance in there and leave the rest of them unused because you have to pay something for the host as well on an hourly basis. So plan to fill the host. And get this, what if you say, well, Scott, I've got that uh, SharePoint quick start that you showed me at the beginning. It's got five instances. That's all I need. And my dedicated host has capacity for 16. And you're telling me to fill the host. How do I get from five to 16? Use the other ones for dev and test. Do whatever you want in there. They are not a single point of failure for the production workload. But economically, you want to fill the host. Now, this graph shows you four simple steps to get started with DH. Remember, you can't launch an Amazon AMI on a DH. So the first thing you have to do is import your virtual machine. We can take Hyper-V or VMware. The next thing you got to do is activate AWS config, and I'll talk more about that later. And now you do something that's important to understand. You allocate the dedicated host, and then you launch instances onto the host. Okay, so remember those last two steps. And we're going to drill down a little bit more on this slide. This shows you the host lifecycle. This picks up from the previous slide where you've already imported your image and you've already activated AWS config. So now you go out there again and you allocate what's called an on-demand host. That's the first step. Step two, which is optional, is you can purchase a host reservation and assign it to the on-demand host. Then it's not an on-demand host anymore. It's a reserved host. So uh, that's just the way it works. You've got to get used to that. You have to allocate the host first, and then potentially, if you want, you can reserve it after you've allocated it. Now that you've got your host, you launch instances onto it. Again, must be an imported and licensed image. And then, as you see fit, you terminate the instances. Now, when the, when the host has no instances running on it, you can release the host. So you got allocate and release. That's the outer block here. And if you had a reservation and it expired, it reverts to an on-demand host. It doesn't automatically release it. So you would still have the host even though your reservation expired, and then you could release if you wished. This is a screenshot of the EC2 dashboard that shows you a couple of hosts, dedicated hosts that I launched in my account. Now, the key point here is that the dedicated hosts have their own instance type. 
It's, a, it's an instance type for a dedicated host. So you have to pick what kind of DH do you want when you're launching it. In this case here, I've got a C4 large DH, and I have a C4 4XL DH. Notice the capacity utilization on the, on the left there. It says, Scott, you've got room for 16 C4 large instances, and you're currently using zero of them. Or in this other host, you've got room for two C4 4XLs. But notice on the right, they both have 20 physical cores and two sockets. So that's like 40 um, processors, but there's only 32 vCPUs because we reserve some for the OS. So even though it's identical hardware, you are telling AWS at allocation time of the DH, you're saying, I want this to be able to hold these kinds of instances. And we say, okay, great. We've got room for 16 of those whenever you want them. Or you say, I want to hold C4 four extra larges. And we say, okay, great. You've got room for two of those whenever you need them. Okay? Now here's another diagram that's sort of saying the same thing. This is, I copied off of our website. So just to give you an example of how to interpret this, you see that we've got a C3 extra large there, and it can hold eight instances. Now, the reason I'm showing you this diagram and telling you how to read a simple table is because it's going to come up in the next couple of slides when we talk about how do you determine your license cost. Okay, so notice all the instance types and the number of sockets and cores there. You need to know that information in those three left columns when you try to figure out what's my license cost for bringing my own license from Microsoft. How many licenses do I need? That is the $100,000 question. How many licenses do you need for a dedicated host? And there's not a simple answer for this question. What you have to do is download that PDF from Microsoft and look at that web page from AWS. Now, there's different versions of that PDF from Microsoft. They have the same information for SQL Server and the different uh, versions of Windows Server. I'm just giving you an example there. But if you get this deck, you can download that. And it lays out their terminology for what they call an OSE, an operating system environment. Sorry to bring up more terminology. But they explain it very well with nice diagrams in their PDF. And what I'm trying to tell you here is you've got to have these two resources to be able to make sure that you're compliant and you're figuring out how many licenses you can bring. And then on that second, uh, that URL there for dedicated hosts on AWS, it has that table from the previous page. So if you go to that link, you'll see this table, and it's all explained. And then it'll tell you what you have to do to figure out and interpret how to bring the Microsoft terminology into uh, dedicated hosts. Now, you have two payment options for dedicated hosts. You can do on-demand, or you can So you actually have three options, right? You got one-year reservation or three-year reservation. You can save up to 70% on your cost of your dedicated host. So that's something to consider. If you know, you know you've dipped your toes in the water and you like what you saw with a proof of concept at AWS and you say, there's no reason not to go all in with this. Uh, and so once you're building your production workload, you might as well reserve instances and reserve dedicated hosts to save up to 70%. Now this is the really big question that we get asked a lot is, well, I've got licenses. Should I bring them or should I do license included? 
or I don't have licenses, should I go ahead and buy them anyway and then bring them? Or should I launch my instances on AWS? So this is like a million dollar question. The other one was 100,000. The best way to figure this out is you have to build a simple little spreadsheet with two scenarios. So the way I did it, I, I built a little spreadsheet for a customer once. The, it's not all on the same set of rows or the same set of columns. It's You have to have scenario one where you figure out what's my license cost and do I want SA and how long am I going to be buying SA for? You know, it's a three-year term. Are you going to renew it? Is, so you have to forecast out how long do you want this, this these calculations to, uh, to, how long are you going to amortize this over? And then uh, you're going to have to ask, okay, what about SQL Server? Am I going to get that from AWS or should I BYOL that as well? And do I want AWS business support or a higher tier? Because that's going to factor into the instance cost. And then the thing that I can't tell you is what your cost per proc is. So you have to go and look at your reseller agreement or your enterprise agreement. Your EA with Microsoft with your reseller will tell you what your per proc cost is for Windows Server and SQL Server and SharePoint. So you use what you're doing on this spreadsheet is it's going to take some homework. You're going to go to those previous links that I put on the previous page. You're going to get all the Microsoft terminology. You're going to get the AWS dedicated host information. You're going to go and look this stuff up and multiply the per proc cost by however many number of procs you need. And you're going to come up with a number. Now you're going to compare that to license included, and how are you going to get that number? Well, there's an easy way. You go to the AWS Simple Monthly Calculator, and you say, I want to, bring, I want to buy a uh, C4 large Windows Server instance uh, in this region, and it tells you how many procs it has, and it tells you what the hourly rate is going to be. So then uh, the calculator multiplies that out and tells you what your annual cost is going to be, and then you can check a box that says, well, let's make that a reservation for one year or three years, and it dramatically lowers your cost, but it says, here's your upfront cost. So the simple monthly calculator says, you know, here's your upfront cost, here's your annual cost, uh, your, your, and uh, your hourly, and you're good to go. So then you take those numbers back over to the spreadsheet you're building, and you compare that to the BYOL scenario. One more tip I'm going to give you on this slide is, when you're doing a BYOL scenario and you're trying to figure out how much is that going to cost in AWS, what's the instance cost? If I do BYOL, and I brought my own Windows server and my own SQL server, there's still going to be a, a, a fee per hour from AWS. What is that? When you go into the simple monthly calculator and you check the box that says, yeah, I want to do Windows Server and SQL Server, they're going to charge you for the license. Now, the calculator is just an estimate, right? But you're trying to, you're scratching your head going, no, I, I, I don't want to pay for Windows Server and SQL Server. I've already, I'm doing a BYOL scenario. So what you have to do there in the simple monthly calculator is you trick it and you say, I just want an Amazon Linux instance. So I think that's funny because I'm a Windows guy. So I go into the calculator and I say to AWS, give me an Amazon Linux instance. I'm bringing my own Windows Server. And that, that Amazon Linux instance has the Windows Server cost and the SQL Server cost factored out, so now it's just the hardware virtual machine that you're getting, okay? Uh, a few more points here about dedicated hosts that are important to keep in mind. Once you uh, allocate a DH, the shared uh, tenancy instances when you launch an instance that's called shared tenancy instead of the default tenancy, it's going to automatically populate into your DH. So let's say that I'm the manager who buys a DH, and then I've got all my developers out there launching instances, 
And I want to make sure that they're using my DH. I want to make sure it's populated because I'm, it's more economical if I fill it up. Well, that's going to ha we do that automatically. We load balance it. So if you've got two DHs and somebody terminates a few instances as one of them and the other one's full, well, we automatically will launch the next instance into the one that has open capacity. Now, I'm not saying that this would ever happen, but what if some catastrophe took out an entire region? You could imagine that there would be intense pressure on near regions, nearby regions. So if you had a DH, sort of as a standby disaster recovery, you know, almost the end of the earth failback plan, you would be good to go because your DH is dedicated to you. And a, a best practice point I would like to make here is, remember the SharePoint quick start diagram at the beginning? We had two availability zones, and we have about five instances in each, in AZ1 and AZ2, and we're calling that a good high availability design for SharePoint. We've got redundancy between two AZs. Now don't think that just because your DH has capacity for 16 instances, that you can go and put five of them for AZ1 in there and five for AZ2 or just put 10 instances in there and call it a day. That is not high availability. That is still single point of failure because the DH is only in one AZ. It doesn't span AZs. So you need a DH, if you, if you need a DH, you need one in AZ1 and you need one in AZ2. Okay, we've been talking a lot about dedicated hosts, but let's, again, not overlook the advantages of license included. This is really significant. Uh, it's much simpler to let AWS manage your licenses for you. You don't have to look at using AWS config or interpreting what is an OSE and, and so forth. Um, but also, it gives you a lot of flexibility. Lots of different kinds of flexibilities are mentioned here. Um, and if you don't, if you can't populate the whole DH, you know, thinking about the cost of the DH itself, well, then you might be better off with a, a default tenancy. And finally, it gives you that platform, that, that freedom to replatform if you ever wanted to, or consolidate. Suppose I've got two DHs and I brought my own license for all these SharePoint servers and Active Directories and SQL servers, and I'm going along fine for several, several months, and then I realize, you know what? This workload has gone down in usage, and if I launch it with a bigger instance type, maybe I could put all these in the same dedicated host. Well, you've already brought, bought your own licenses for all of those uh, products. You don't really have that flexibility. That's a sunk cost. But if you're on default tenancy with license included, you could easily say, hmm, I'll just combine them. And now I can shut those instances down. So that's kind of a nice flexibility. Another flexibility about replatforming, what if you ever decided you wanted to move to, say, Amazon Aurora or DynamoDB or other ser uh, serverless computing services that are, uh, you know, pretty cool? So those are reasons you might think that you don't necessarily want to make a big commitment with licenses. All right, let's move on to SQL Server. We've got two options. You probably already know this, but we've got Amazon RDS is a managed service for SQL Server, or you can do SQL Server on EC2. Now, don't let anybody tell you that Amazon RDS for SQL Server is not the real McCoy. It is real SQL Server. 
but we are managing it for you so it takes some of the burden off of your shoulders. You don't have to patch it or do backups, etc. And there's two ways you can do it there. You can BYOL or license included. The same thing with EC2 SQL Server. The difference is on EC2, you can log into the box and fully administer it. In fact, you're responsible for that. Now, on EC2, you notice there's a few options there. You can, uh, with BYOL, you can run SQL Server on all three types of tenancies, DH, DI, DT. But if you do it on DT, you've got to have license mobility. I already covered that in that most important slide that I mentioned. And even if you do license included for SQL Server, you can launch that on a DI or a DT. All right. Now, this is where it starts to get really interesting. This is where I'm going to merge architecture and licensing in one talk. You guys probably are well aware of our, our network latency between availability zones is really, really low. We take it really seriously. In fact, it's like very often, it's, it's usually under two milliseconds. And sometimes it's even under one millisecond in tests that we've done. Now, if you had SQL Server Enterprise Edition and you had always on availability group across two AZs, you know that you could do synchronous commit. If the latency is only one or two milliseconds, you could do a synchronous commit. And that means you could do automatic failover. You cannot do automatic failover if you don't have synchronous commit. I, I hope people realize that. If, if you had async commit, please don't try to do automatic failover. Okay, so now I'm gonna ask a question. How many people here think that, well, Scott, if you could do all that, uh, that means that my high availability design, what's stopping me from just calling that a DR design as well? How many people would say, yeah, let's just call that a, a DR. If you've got a HA between two AZs and you got synchronous commit, automatic failover, why isn't that also a DR? Anybody takers for calling that a DR? Okay. How many people say, no, that's not a DR? Okay, most of you. Fair enough. Now, one reason that you don't want to call that a DR is because you got to think about uh, data corruption. Now, even if you had uh, asynchronous commit, doesn't matter whether you have sync or async, if you have a HA design with always on and SQL Server across two AZs, if you've got a bug in your application code, it's going to immediately corrupt the data in both AZs, right? So that's one argument against calling that a DR situation because, you know, that's a disaster and there's no way to recover it because both copies of the data are corrupt. Another reason is, especially public sector customers, they have particular mileage distance requirements. I think some of those might fade over time because, you know, we put a lot of thought into how to design our AZs so that they are on separate floodplains, internet backbones, and power grids, but we say that they are only tens of miles apart. And some customers say, nope, it's got to be 50 miles, for whatever reason. Um, so the DR, that might not work for them. Now, there's two ways you can do DR, even with the multi-AZ design. You can think of a spectrum of RTO, recovery time objective. You could get a recovery time down to the minutes, or but you're going to have to pay for like a live uh, running DR site or you could have a cold standby, if you will, or not even a standby, but a, a cold plan to move to another region 
and then you don't have to pay for that, but your, D, your RTO is going to go up to possibly a few hours or even a day. Now, I'm going to show you a couple diagrams to illustrate this. This is the multi-AZ scenario where we have two SQL servers and two AZs, and we've got synchronous commit going on between them with always on an always-on availability group, and we have automatic failover because with uh, synchronous commit, you can do that. That's all in one region, though. So if anything took out the entire region, um, there might be an issue. Now, you might say, okay, Scott, what does this have to do with licensing? Well, hold that thought. We're going to get to that in a second. Now, here's the multi-region scenario. This is really interesting, I think. And we have had customers who are really paranoid about wanting to make sure they've got DR in a separate region. And so this is a scenario that you can build where you've got the, the synchronous commit going on between AZs, but you can also have, if you want, you can have a hot standby in another region. And that hot standby is taking an async replica, uh, asynchronous commit, so that's going to be a manual failover there. And you're going to have to possibly recover some, you know, most recent uh, backups from S3. So you, you could have S3 snapshots that are taking backups of your database. If you don't have a hot standby in another region, you could build the the second region there with CloudFormation. Remember, try to do everything you can with CloudFormation for your Windows workloads. So you, let's say disaster strikes in region one. So you go to region two, you fire up your CloudFormation template to build the infrastructure. That could happen, that could be done in 10 minutes or an hour or a couple hours, depending on how complex it is. Then you load in your data from S3 snapshots and, and your, so your recovery time objective could be, you know, on the order of minutes to 24 hours and your RPO could be whenever you took your last snapshot backup. All right, now here's the good news. If your secondary SQL Server instance in that diagram is completely passive, by Microsoft's definition of passive, that means it's not a read replica. And it has to be a read replica if you're using it for backups. So if it's not even a read replica and you're not doing backups, you don't have to buy the license on it. I would like to let that really sink in for a moment. Let the ramifications of this sink in. Where else? And whenever could you have ever done this before? How many people have tried to build SQL Server in their own data center and they used always on availability groups, maybe not the same rack, but right next to it? And then they realize, you know, that's not really, a, we've got a single point of failure here with this building. So let's move that rack to at least the other corner of the data center and then, you, well, it's still not covering it. Let's get another facility across town. Okay, now you're going to have to think about putting in a lease line or going through the Internet and that latency. And so even across town, well, wait a minute, that's still the same power grid. You know, that's, that, and it's still the same floodplain. Oh, man, we got to move this data center from, you know, if we're in New York, we got to get another one all the way over in Boston. Or if we're in L.A., we need another one all the way over in Tempe. This is not going to be cheap. And what about our latency? So get a load of what AZs do in AWS. Welcome to availability zones. Super low latency, super convenient to deploy that whole thing. Click of the button with CloudFormation. And I'm not an expert on other cloud vendors, but I just would invite you to compare that scenario. Think about that. 
Can, can anyone else do that? Synchronous replication off-site, and you don't have to pay for the license for SQL Server, but you've, you've got that HA design. That's pretty cool. All right, let's talk about RDS for a second here. Um, you know, it's a managed service, so when you go into it, you're going to launch a database instance, but there's an option when you're launching it, a little drop-down that says, do you want license included or BYOL? And if you choose license, uh, um, I'm sorry, if you choose BYOL, you've got 10 days to figure out how to submit this form to Microsoft. We provide a link for it on our webpage. I'll get to questions at the end. You can um, submit the form to Microsoft. They will verify your licenses, and they will email you back, and they'll email AWS. And so you, then you just uh, do BYOL with RDS for SQL Server. It's simple. Pretty much everything with RDS for SQL Server is quite simple. You know the multi-AZ design that I showed you earlier? That was EC2 SQL Server. You know how you do that in RDS? You check a box. You don't have to deploy SQL Server with always-on availability groups and set up listeners with three IPs each. You don't have to do all that. You check a box in RDS. Okay, hold on to your seats now. We're going to dive into something a little bit more complex. SharePoint Server. So I made it into a decision tree because this, this is a little bit trickier. All right, let's take it from the top. The first thing I'm going to ask you is, well, do you have a SharePoint license? And, you know, remember before when I said um, that we only sell two products, Windows Server and SQL Server? Well, that wasn't my final answer. We also offer SharePoint Server through the marketplace, the AWS marketplace, through Data Resolution, a partner of ours. So even if you don't have a SharePoint license, you can still run SharePoint Server on AWS. And then the um, question is, do you have MSDN and your workload is not prod? Okay, if that's the case, you can run SharePoint Server on a DI or a DH. You cannot run MSDN on default tenancy. Remember that? Okay, so that's row two there. Next question is, uh, let's say you're trying to figure this out for prod or you don't have MSDN. So then the next question is, do you have license mobility? And if you say yes, then we have to ask you, well, do you want to bring your own license for Windows Server as well as SharePoint Server? And if you say yes, then you got to go on a DH. Remember, you're bringing your own license for Windows Server, you got to go on a DH. Or if you say no, then you run SharePoint Server on default tenancy because you're not bringing Windows Server. And then finally, if you don't have license mobility and you don't want to bring your own license for Windows Server, well, then you can't do it. All right. I hope you can download the slides and get that later. <laughs> that could be helpful if you can refer to it, because you're not going to remember all that. Okay, what's config? Bear in mind that Microsoft requires that you track the usage of your licenses against physical resources, such as sockets and cores. Well, guess what? That's what AWS config does for you. It does that really well with dedicated hosts. And it also tracks instance tags, which are recommended. Now, how do you use AWS config? Sounds complicated. Not even close. You just go in and tell it you want to activate it on your account. And it asks you four questions in a wizard. But you can just say, yes, 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 yes. Accept the default answer for all four questions, and you're good to go. What it's going to do is track those issues on your resources as you launch instances on your DH, 
it's tracking that, and it'll put a report in an S3 bucket for you. And that's how you can be compliant with Microsoft. Okay, now I'm going to get ready for the demo, and if um, they figured out how we're going to do that, come on up. So um, this is what the demo is going to do if we are able to pull it off. We're going to take a VMware image that's on-premise, but I've got it in a, um, a, a workstation instance that I'm running in AWS. We're going to put it into an S3 bucket. It has to be in there in order to do the VM import service. So the first thing you got to do is get your image into S3. Then you can import it. Now, when you import it, it makes an AMI. It doesn't launch an instance for you, okay? Remember that. Once you've got that AMI, that's your AMI. That's not an Amazon AMI. That's your image. And now you can launch it on a dedicated instance, or you can allocate a host and then launch uh, uh, the, the instance in the dedicated host. All right? Yeah, sure. Okay, so uh, that slide's going to go away in a second, hopefully, and we're going to do a demo. Also, uh, how much time do, I, do we have? Oh, I got nine minutes. <laughs> All right. This is going to be a quick demo. Yeah. All right, while he's setting that up, I'll take a quick question. Somebody had a question over here. Yes, go ahead. Yell it, please. Ah, that's a great question. It's There's a technical issue right now that we're looking into. So uh, stay tuned. Thanks for that. The question was, can you launch a SQL Server RDS with MSDN? And I believe it might be allowable from a licensing perspective. But we want to check on that, and we're looking into technical issues about it as well. So uh, it, it might be something that we someday um, have a more firm answer, yes or no. I don't know what the answer will be, but yes. What kind of external connectors are you talking about? I don't know anything about Windows Server external connector license. I'm very sorry, but I've actually never heard of that before. <laughs> oh, oh. Uh, so, oh, you're, are you talking about like terminal server licenses? Okay, I, I, you know what, I think your best would be to email us, and we'll, uh, there's an email address, Microsoft at Amazon.com, and we will try to get to an answer for you on that. I appreciate the question. Thank you. I just, I'm not familiar with it. Yes. The question is about the pricing of Nano, and I don't know the pricing off the top of my head. It is different than the data center edition. All of our AMI prices are, you know, let's see, I can't remember. There's four flavors of the Windows Server 2016. There's with SQL Server, there's Nano, data center, and I can't remember the other one. Thanks, man. Um, so the, the answer to your question is to look on our pricing page, because I'm sorry I can't remember all the prices off the top of my head. Okay, guys, uh, we've got just uh, a few minutes, and I wanted to um, give you a demo of PowerShell to show you how to launch a dedicated 
uh, to import an image and um, do a uh, dedicated instance on it. So I hope you can see this. Okay, maybe I should zoom up a little bit. Can't believe I didn't figure out how to do that before. Oh, there, I, I couldn't even see the darn toggle. There it is. Okay. All right. Does that help? All right. So you see the PowerShell code here. Now, when you use our VM import service, you'll notice that it's not in the console. You have to do it with PowerShell, okay, for, for this purpose. So first thing you want to do is um, set up the region that you're going to do. And I'm going to do all this in one step. I'm going to also uh, import the uh, a local file head. So from here. So what I've got on this this machine, pretend it's my on-premises workstation, and I've created a VMware OVA file that is an image that I want to get up into the cloud. So I have to go into uh, PowerShell and say uh, I want to put that in an S3 bucket in my account. So then I'll be able to use the VM import service. So that's the first step, is you make the image on-premise, then you put it in S3. That's what we're doing right now. We're uploading the image from my on-premise workstation to my bucket. Now that it's in the bucket, I can use the VM import service, which is what we're going to be doing next year. OK, now a few tricky things about that. Before you start to use the VM import service, you have to create an import policy document. This is documented in our, uh, on our web pages. So I'm not going to go through and explain this whole thing, but I am going to just uh, uh, take note of what we're doing here is we're saying that the VM import export service, that's VMIE, we're giving it a right to do something in our account. Because it's going to, that service is going to go into our S3 bucket and it's going to create an AMI for us. So it needs to be given permission to do that. And that's how you do it, by creating an IAM policy. Okay, so let's highlight that code in PowerShell. And um, create that role. And we're also going to register a couple of other of our managed policies. Now, you know, in IAM, you can create your own policies to do lots of different things with all of the AWS APIs. But we also have what are called managed policies, which are um, more simple flavor. For example, right there, we've got a managed policy that says S3 full access and EC2 full access. So I'm taking a little liberty here for security purposes. I'm using just the full managed policy that we have there. But you could obviously restrict that quite a bit more so that uh, IAM is, is more tighter. OK, now that we've got the policy created, we're going to um, set up these variables for a bucket that we're going to reach into. And we're going to import the image. So what this is doing is it's starting. It r runs in the background right now. AWS has reaching into that bucket where I have my OVA file. And it's importing it in and turning it into an Amazon uh, AMI that is going to be in my account. So it's not a uh, it's not a license included AMI. Now, when that's happening, you can take a look at the uh, progress right there at the bottom. It says progress is two percent, and it's going to take 45 minutes to do that. So we're not going to wait for that whole time. But whatever it, when it's running, you can always go and look at the progress with this command here. 
and it'll, it'll tell you what that is. Um, now, I've got an AMI that I've previously imported, so I'm going to use that one. Whoa. Did I... Um, I don't know if I need quotes on that. Shouldn't have to, right? Oh, that's funny. Okay. Now, we're going to uh, launch a dedicated host... Or, you know what, what I meant to do is say we're going to launch a dedicated instance. But we have to have an AMI to launch the instance with. So what I did is I've, because I don't want to wait 45 minutes for the one that I'm importing, I already created an AMI from a previous one. So now I'm going to go with these PowerShell commands to say let's launch a, uh, a, uh, a dedicated instance. Now when you do that, you're using the PowerShell command line called new EC2 instance. Okay, running into some errors there. So um, what I'm going to explain, just and then I'll take questions. The, uh, the, the AWS tools for PowerShell has over 2,100 commandlets, and that covers all the APIs. And it's constantly growing because we're coming up with new services and new APIs all the time. So the, the AWS tools for PowerShell are pre-installed on all the uh, Amazon machine images, and you can download it and install it on your own. Um, PowerShell is a really powerful way to, uh, to um, use commands like this, like the VM import service. Uh, I apologize. I ran into a technical error there, and we're out of time. But if there's any other questions, I'll take a quick question or two. Okay. Thank you all very much for coming. Oh, I see one question. Come on up if you want. Why don't you